get the connection cards as well as any physical offerings that people might have. So we are in the midst of 40 Days of Love. So we're about three weeks into our fall campaign. And so we do a campaign. This is the seventh year, I think, that we've done a campaign where, where for a couple of months, we as an entire church focus on something. And the, the hope is we'll get lots of people in life group, which we've gotten this time around, which is great. And, we, you know, the sermons and the life groups and books we're reading and other things will line up to really help us grow spiritually in an important area. And so this two-month period is about making us all better lovers, that we would get better at loving, that we would get better at receiving God's love and in such a way that the love that we receive from him would flow through us and, and would impact the people around us. So my hope for this, for this couple months is that we'll all really take steps forward in becoming more loving. That, uh, that it'll show up in the way that we deal with our family members. It'll show up in the way that we treat one another here in the church. It'll show up in the way we engage with the community and at work. And wouldn't it be great if like the thousand plus people who call this their home church, if we all grew in love and we actually just went out there and the way we treated people, that people might say like, man, I don't, I don't know what that church believes. And sometimes they raise their hands and I don't get it. But man, they really love people. Boy, there's something really different about the way that they love. So that's, that's the hope. And so one of the things that can really help us to learn is if we have a model, right? If you have a model, you can sometimes you're trying to figure something out and you're like, oh, that's what it looks like. And then it can help you kind of figure out how to replicate it, that in your life. So when it comes to love, we're in luck because we have the best model for love. We have Jesus, right? Jesus was perfectly loving because he's the son of God. And so he loved perfectly. His relationships were perfect. And so Jesus, you know, he just didn't show up 2,000 years ago and go immediately to the cross. He, he was, there was the incarnation where he, he became flesh and he dwelt among us so he could model. And so he was very clear about that. Like with his disciples, he said things in John 13, 34, uh, I'm giving you a new commandment. Love each other in the same way that I've loved you. So he basically says, hey, you guys have seen the way that I've loved you. Now you guys need to love each other like that. Another time in John 13, 15, he said, I've set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. And so Jesus is our example. And one of the things that I've been saying, and I'll continue to say because it's foundational, is we can't fully understand how to love people unless we're experiencing the love that God has for us. Right? We can't offer to people something that we don't have. We can't be merciful to people if we're not walking in the mercy that we've received from God. We can't be gracious to people if we're not walking in the grace that God has given us. And I don't think we can love people the way that we need to love people if we're not living in the love that God has for us. So today's a, a very simple message, but I think it's a very important message. I'm going to talk about three ways that Jesus loves us. And then we're going to talk a little bit about how we can kind of break that down and spread it, how we can love other people the same way Jesus loves us. So the first point is this, I must accept others the way Jesus accepts me. I must accept others the way Jesus accepts me. Now, if you know Jesus, you should be one of the most accepting people that this world like has to offer, right? Because Jesus has accepted us. And that's so important because we live in a world that is full of rejection. We all experience rejection in so many different ways, and rejection causes a lot of pain. I bet that the deepest pains that you have in your life 
are there because there was a moment or there was a time or there was a season or maybe even you feel like your whole life where you haven't been accepted, where you've been rejected, where you've been left out, you've been betrayed, you've been mocked and belittled. And these these moments, I think, are connected to kind of the deepest pain that we have. And we've all felt this way. We've all felt this way. We've experienced this. And the reality is we've done this to other people as well. And so maybe you feel it, you know, kind of from your parents, that you're, you feel like your parents didn't accept you or your peers. I mean, junior high school, the sixth grade cafeteria is a dangerous place, right? And I've known adults 40, 50 years later who've never gotten over the trauma of junior high school that there are things that happen that have stayed, it got deep, it got in the core of who they were, and it affects the way they view the world, the way they view other people. Maybe it was your spouse. You know, if, if, you, if, if you endured a broken marriage and you felt like you were rejected by your spouse, that's a, that's a deep rejection. Or your coworkers, we all experience it, and we spend so much of our life trying to be accepted by people and avoid rejection. So much of what we do kind of boils down to that. Think about hairstyles. Like, why is it you go through, like, every few years, the, the kind of dominant hairstyle changes, you know, from the 60s to the 70s to the 80s to the 90s, then it comes back again, right? That's how it works. But the reason that happens is because society communicates, if you want to be accepted, this is how your hair needs to look. And so everybody gets the same haircut. They do the same thing. This is how you need to dress. This is the car that you need to drive. This is the career. This is how you relate to other people. And so much of it comes down to, I want to be accepted. I don't want to be rejected. And we've all done crazy things to be accepted. Remember when you were a kid and then, you know, you're with your friends and they say, I dare you. I don't know. Were you one of the ones who would take the dares? I, I would take the dare. So that you're standing like, like at the top of a cliff. And they say, I dare you to jump off. And so you jump. Or I dare you to break into that old, old house that might be haunted and go down into the basement. And so you break into the old house and go down into the basement. Or you take like a firecracker, not like a fire, like a rocket. You know, something that should be like put in the ground and then you light it and you run away. But like, well, what happens if you become the launching pad and you just hold it? Like, I dare you to do that. These are all things from my childhood. These are all things that I've done. It is a miracle that I'm standing here in front of you today, that I'm still alive, but we've, we've done it. You know, maybe some of you, you might have chosen an entire career because you wanted the acceptance of your parents. Like maybe your parents said, this is what my son, my daughter, this is what you're going to do. This is the bad. You didn't want to do it, but you chose a whole life just because you didn't want to be rejected by your parents or sexually. Maybe you were trying to live according to what I, what I refer to as the historic Christian ethic, right? What the Bible clearly says about sexual relationships. But you, want, you didn't want to be rejected. You wanted to be accepted. So you went further than you were comfortable going because you had that fear. And there is a myth out there. There's a lie that we believe that says, if I could just behave right, if I could be perfect, then everybody's going to accept me and I'll never experience rejection in my life. And we put this pressure on ourselves. And some of you, you might be racked with social anxiety because of this lie. Because you think, I've got to act right. I've got to think right. I've got to look right. I've got to speak right. And so you put that pressure on yourself and it's paralyzing you. It's making it so hard for you to be around other people because you have this internal stuff that's going on. But it's a lie. It's not possible. Because Jesus was perfect, right? And he got nailed to a cross. And so it doesn't matter what you do, there are people who are going to reject you. There are people who aren't going to like you. 
There are people who will leave you on the outside. And we need to break free of this because this drives so much of our life and it puts us on a treadmill and we're running around and we don't have freedom and we don't have peace and we can't come into who we are because we're trying to be accepted. The way to be set free from this is for you to realize how deeply God accepts you. For you to understand that you are, there's a phrase in the Bible, accepted in the beloved and what that means for your life. John 6, 37 says, the father gives me my people. Every one of them will come to me and I will always accept them. He says, I will always accept them. That means all the time. It's not a conditional acceptance. He says, I will always accept you. And so we talk a lot here about accepting Jesus. I give an invitation pretty much at the end of every sermon I preach in English and Spanish and, you know, whatever language. Those are the only two languages. I don't preach in Spanish. I preach with the translator, but I used to preach in Spanish. But uh, I always give an invitation to accept Jesus. And so that means that what we do is we accept the free gift of salvation that Jesus offers us, and we invite him into our life, and we have, he starts living inside of us. But, but I've come across many Christians through the years, people who are part of this church, who maybe felt like the Christian life's not really working out for me. I don't feel God's love. I don't feel God's presence. I, I, I don't have that sense of purpose and joy that other people talk about. And nine out of 10 times, maybe 99 out of 100 times, it comes down to the fact that they don't realize how radically accepted they are by God. They don't realize that God accepts them. They kind of have this idea of God. Maybe it was because when they were a kid, they got hit you know, with a ruler over the knuckles by too many nuns or who knows why. But we, we believe this lie that says, I've got to perform perfectly for God in order for him to accept me. So therefore, God is always a little bit ticked off at me. It's never enough. Right, God, always waiting for the other shoe to drop. You're not able to just realize that God is for you, that he loves you, that he's accepted you. You're not able to believe like Zephaniah 3.17 that says the Lord your God is in your midst. He rejoices over you. He dances over you with his love. You know what? We, we talk here a lot about accepting Jesus, but you need to realize too many Christians don't understand that Jesus has accepted you that he smiles over you, that he rejoices over you. And if it's hard for you to believe that, maybe part of the problem could be that your parents were impossible to please. Now, I'm not trying to throw parents under the bus. I'm not trying to create, you know, conflict in your family. But all of us who are parents, we know we're not perfect, right? We know that parents are just kids who grew up and had kids of their own. And so maybe you constantly receive the message from your parents that what you did was never enough. Right, that in order to be accepted, you had to come home with these grades. And if the grades weren't good enough, you were rejected. Or in order to be accepted, you had to perform like this on the athletic field. Or in order to be accepted, you know, if you could just be more like your big brother. Did any of you have a golden child in your family that you were always being compared to? If you could just be more like, you know, whoever, right? And, and or maybe the flip side of that, maybe you were the golden child. And so you got the same message that, you know, your parents would say things about you like, oh, they're my easy one. Oh, they're the delight. They're not difficult like the other one. They do. And so you get this message that love is conditional, that you have to perform in a certain way to be accepted. But God isn't like that. God says, I love you, period. 
I love you and accept you full stop. I don't love you because of who you are. I love you because of who I am. I don't, I don't love and accept you because of what you do. I love and accept you because of what I've done. It's not because of your conduct. It's because of my character. I love you unconditionally. I will always accept you. I'm for you, and you can take that to the bank. Psalm 27, verse 10 says, even if my mother and father forsake me, the Lord will receive me. Even if parents aren't going to reject you, sometimes some might, but most don't. But it says, even if that happens, I will never reject you. I will always receive you. And as I said, we're not accepted because of what we do. We're accepted because of what he did. It says this in Titus 3, 7, so that having been justified by his grace, we might become heirs having the hope of eternal life. Another translation, a paraphrase, says Jesus treated us much better than we deserve. He made us acceptable to God and gave us the hope of eternal life. How does he make us acceptable to God? He does it by his grace, by what Jesus has done for us. The moment that we are in Christ, the moment that we are accepted in the beloved, he accepts us. Now, one of the things that's hard for us, and maybe why it's hard for you to walk in that acceptance, is because we have a hard time understanding the difference between acceptance and approval, right? We need to, we, we think that, well, in order to accept someone, we have to approve of everything that they do. And every other religion, the difference between Jesus and every other religion is that every other religion is a variation of here are the things that you need to do in order to become acceptable to God. But what Jesus says is because of what I've done, because of what I did, you are acceptable to God. And now I'm going to start living inside of you. And together we're going to work to make some changes. See, that's the hope of the gospel. Remember in, in John chapter 8, when, uh, when, when Jesus uh, was, was ministering and the, the religious leaders were always trying to trick him. They were always trying to catch him. And so one time they thought they had a pretty good way to catch him because Jesus is talking about mercy and grace. And so it says in John chapter 8 that there was a woman who was caught in the act of adultery. So I have a lot of questions about that story. There's a lot of things that don't make First of all, how did they get in there? How did they catch her in the act of adultery? And second, as far as I understand, and I think this was true 2,000 years ago, it takes two, right, to commit adultery. Why is just the woman being brought? So anyway, so the woman's brought to Jesus, and they're trying to, and what they do is they say, we caught her in the act of adultery. And you're always talking about mercy and grace and love, but the law says that this woman needs to be stoned to death. In other words, we're gonna, the law says that we can throw stones at her until she's dead. So what do you say about that, Jesus? And so Jesus, because you got to get up pretty early in the morning to trick Jesus, right? So he said, all right, all right, yeah, that's what the law says. So here's what we're going to do. Why don't, if there's anyone here who's never sinned, you go ahead and throw the first stone. And so they actually, these, these religious leaders had a moment of like truth. And they realized kind of one by one that, oh, I guess I can't throw that stone. And so they all dropped the stone and they walked away. And what Jesus was doing here for this woman is he was treating her with dignity, but he was also showing what it looks like to accept someone, but not approve of everything they do. Because then, you know, after everyone was gone, it was just Jesus and this woman. And so Jesus says to her, where are your accusers? And she's like, they're gone. They left. It's just you and me. And so what Jesus said to her, is neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. 
And so what Jesus did for her is what he does for us. We bring him our sins and our faults and our failures. And what he said to this woman is, listen, you're behaving in this certain way. You know, I know you don't want to do this. I know this isn't what you want your life to look like. Let me help you change your life. And that's what he does with us. We bring him our sins and our faults and our weaknesses. And he says, you know better than that. I know you don't want to live with this out-of-control anger. I, don't, I know you don't want to have this fear. I know, you're, I know you feel guilty for stealing or whatever it is. Let me, from a place of acceptance, from a place of living inside of you, begin to work, work out the changes that we both want to see in your life. And so what that means is, Jesus, if you are in Christ, Jesus chose you. He chose you. Out of all the billions of people on the planet, he chose to have a relationship with you. And sometimes we think, well, for God so loved the world, and so I'm part of the world, so Jesus has to love me. No, he chose you. He chose, God chose to create you. And the reason he chose, you're fearfully and wonderfully made, he chose to create you because he wanted to love you. He chose to have Jesus die on the cross in your place so that you could have a relationship with him. He chose to put his Holy Spirit inside of you so that you could become the temple of the living God. He chose to write your name down in the Lamb's Book of Life so you could live with him forever as his son and as his daughter. And when this becomes a revelation in our life, when we realize that he chose me, it changes everything. God says, I made you to love me. I sent Jesus to die for you. I want to be with you forever. You matter to me. You are the one I love. And when you realize this, you can become free. When you realize this, when this becomes a revelation in your life and you realize that you are accepted by God, then it becomes a thing of like, hey, you know what? I'd love to have other people accept me right? Because nobody wants to be rejected. I mean, you got to be a sociopath to want people to reject you. But you realize you don't need them to accept you because you're accepted by God. You're accepted by the one who matters most, and it sets you free. You can get off the treadmill. You don't have to walk around juggling everything, trying to, trying to earn that approval. You can be set free from that. And here's the point. What God does for us is that becomes more of a revelation in our life then we're able to offer that same thing to other people. God says, I love you unconditionally. I don't approve of everything you do. You're a work in progress, but I accept you unconditionally. And Romans 15, 7 says it as clearly as it can be said, accept one another just as Christ accepted you in order to bring praise to God. And so during these 40 days, right, we don't, I don't want this to be a thing where for a couple months we're talking about love and you guys are like, oh, that's so nice. Pastor Phil was talking about love and love is nice and that's very nice. No, how can we change? What can we do? What can you do this week? So I got some homework assignments for you. And so my one homework assignment, my first homework assignment is who is someone in your life who's hard to accept? Who's someone in your life, the way that they act and the way that they behave, and, you know, it's just kind of hard to love. Now, listen, don't look to your left or to your right. Don't look around because that's going to hurt people's feelings. That's going to be really awkward. Who's someone that you work with, maybe, who just, like, you know, like people don't accept them. They don't get asked out to lunch. You know, they walk into a room and people roll their eyes or everybody stops talking and kind of leaves and goes back to their desk. Who's someone like that where you can say, you know what? God radically accepted me, so I'm going to show them the acceptance that I've received from God. I'm going to accept them the same way God has accepted me. So that's the first point. 
that we accept people the way Jesus accepted us. The second is we value others the way Jesus values me. How valuable are you? I'm not talking about your net worth. That's probably taken a hit over the last few months with uh, inflation in the economy. But how much are you really worth? You are so valuable. You are infinitely valuable. As I said before, God created you. Jesus died for you. He put his spirit in you. And he wants you to be with him for all of eternity, forever and ever and ever as his son or daughter. That's how valuable you are to God. Really valuable. And it says this in Luke chapter 12. Jesus said, are not five sparrows sold for two pennies? Yet not one of them is forgotten by God. Indeed, the very hairs of your head are all numbered. Don't be afraid you're worth more than many sparrows. So what Jesus is doing here, he takes sparrows, which were seen as worthless at that time. He's saying, the Father cares about everything that he's created. Now, how many of you this summer and fall have run into spotted lanternflies? Anybody? I'd heard about these spotted lanternflies. I read about them. I hadn't seen one. Like all summer, I hadn't seen one. I'm like, oh, I guess they haven't come to Fairlawn. So that's pretty good. And then a couple of weeks ago, it's a Saturday. It's my day off. My wife and I are together. And, uh, and I feel something on my neck. And so I go, ooh, what's that? And it's uh, this huge spotted lanternfly falls off of my kitchen. And I smush it. You ever smush a spotted lanternfly? They're like, they're a lot of like red guts, right? And so, so these, these spotted lanternflies, they're invasive. And they're going to kill all the trees. And it's a problem. So my wife has this tree. This tree in our backyard that she loves a little bit less than she loves my children. Like, she loves this tree. She brought this tree home in her minivan years ago and planted it. Now this thing is growing so big, it's eventually going to destroy my house. But my wife, she loves the tree. She loves the shade. And so she immediately is like, the tree! And so we go out, and the tree is covered in spotted lanterns. It's covered, just like overnight, just covered. And so I get a golf club, and I'm beating them off the tree. And, and my wife, she, had, she actually talked to someone who told her, what you do for to save the tree? Because we got to save the tree. I'd be okay if the lanternfly took out the tree, but my wife, we've got to save the tree. I, that's terrible. But this thing is getting so big, it's going to destroy my house. But anyway, um, so, so she heard that what you could do is get like duct tape that has sticky stuff on both sides and wrap it around the trunk of the tree and create like a, a fly trap kind of a thing. So she's like, I'm going to go to Home Depot. I'm going to get that. You stay here and protect the tree. And I'm like, is this my life now? Like, I'm just going to sit here with a golf club and beat spotted lanternflies? So she came back, and it actually has kind of worked. So that's like a, a, a life hack for you if you want to save your tree. But anyway, I, I went down a rabbit hole about the spotted lanternflies. But what Jesus is talking about, anything God creates is valuable. And then he goes and he even says, and you're like, then why'd you kill the spotted lanternflies? Because the tree's valuable, then why do you hate the tree? I've, I'm a work in progress. I still am a work in progress. But, but then he, he goes on and, you know, he says that, that, that God, like you're so valuable to God. His level of concern for your life is like his attention upon you because you're so valuable is that he knows the hairs on your head. He's counted. He knows how many thousands of hairs are on your head. And then when you brush your hair in the morning, he readjusts the number for the ones for the hairs that came out. That's how much you matter to him. That's how valuable you are. So I was thinking about this. What is it that makes something valuable? Right, what is it that, that adds, that, that puts value on something? And I think there are two things. The first is, who made it? Right, so I have this picture here of a Fabergé egg. This actually is the most expensive Fabergé egg in the world, I think. It's worth $33 million. And the reason it's so valuable, it was made by this master craftsman named August Holmstrom. 
1887. So $33 million for this egg. Now, here's the thing. I've made my fair share of Easter eggs. I mean, now, you know, I mean, when my kids were little and, and I made some nice looking, they really weren't very nice looking. My, my wife and kids made nice looking eggs, but I've made some eggs. Why don't they have the same value, right? Why is a Picasso worth more than something that you sketch out? It's because the person who made it. And so who created you, right? God created you. And what that means, because God created you, it means you are valuable. Ephesians 2.10 says, we are God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for you to do. Now, the Greek word for handiwork is the, or, yeah, is the word poema. And so we get the word poem from it, but it means more than that. What it's saying is you are God's masterpiece. You are a masterpiece fearfully and wonderfully made. And before you took your first breath, because you're so valuable, because you're a masterpiece, God created good works for you to do. And so God planned out his life for you. You have such value. You matter so much to God that he says, this is how valuable you are because I created you. You're my masterpiece. And the second thing that ascribes value is how much someone's willing to pay for something. Right, so if you own a home, you can go to Zillow, and you can see how much your house is worth. Now, that's actually not how much your house is worth. That's what Zillow thinks your house is worth. You won't know what your house is really worth until you sell it, right? And so the last couple of years, people have been doing like 10% over acting pr asking price, all cash, kind of going down a little bit. But, but it's, it's what are people willing to pay for it? Right? Everyone talks about cryptocurrency, and you're like, that doesn't make any sense. That has no value. It has value because people are willing to pay for it. So value is, is, is what someone will pay for something. And so years ago, there was this oil sheik in the Middle East whose daughter was kidnapped. And so the royal family took out an ad saying, we will pay any price because she is the king's daughter. And so they ended up getting her back. But what we need to know like deep in our heart, you need to know that you are the king's daughter, that you are the king's son. You were created by him. You are valued because he created you, and he paid an incredible price for your redemption. It says in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 18, you know that it was not with perishable things, or with like worthless things like silver or gold, that you were redeemed from the empty way of life handed down to you from your ancestors, but with the precious blood of Christ a lamb without blemish or defect. How much are you worth? Look at the cross. Look at Jesus dying for you. Dying, saying, you are so valuable that I will shed my blood. The Bible says, for the joy set before him, Jesus endured the agonies of the cross. The joy was you because you're that valuable. Listen, I don't know what people told you growing up. I don't know where you heard the messages that you didn't matter, that you were worthless that you'd never amount to anything, that you didn't count, but that's not true. They were lying. No matter who they were, that's not the truth. And I don't know why they said it. Maybe they said it in anger. Maybe they said it because they were hurt. Maybe they said it out of indifference. But for whatever reason they said it, it was a lie. It wasn't the truth. God says, you're so valuable that my son shed his precious blood in your place so you could be with me forever. And it says in Isaiah 49, 15 to 16, can a mother forget the baby at her breast and have no compassion on the child she is born? Though she may forget, I will not forget you. 
See, I have engraved you on the palm of my hand. Now, when Jesus sets up his kingdom, Bible says he's going to make everything new. There's going to be a new heaven. There's going to be a new earth. You're going to have a new resurrected body. Jesus was the first fruit of that. So he had the first resurrected, glorified spiritual body. It's kind of like humanity version 2.0. But there's one thing in the new kingdom of God that's going to be old. There's one thing that's not going to be made new. And that's the scars that are on Jesus's hand. The Bible tells us that for all of eternity, whenever you look at Jesus, as you're worshiping him a million years from now, or when the Bible says that Jesus will personally wipe every tear from your eyes, he will, you will see the scars that are on his hands. They'll still be there. So you will always know how much he loves you. You will always know how valuable you are. And so what God says to us and how this plays out in our relationship is we are to treat other people with this same value. Jesus says, I want you to treat everyone I love with the same kind of value. I don't just love you. I love everyone I created like that. Even the people that you don't like to be around. So if you're my child, I expect you to love and value people the same way I do. That's the family resemblance. That ha that's how we show that we're part of God's family. 1 Peter 2.17 says, show proper respect to everyone. Love the family of believers. Fear God. Honor the emperor. So in the Greek, you know what the word everyone means? It means everyone, right? We are to show respect to everyone. Now, we're coming into an election series, and I don't want to, you know, election season. But it's crazy that it says honor the, honor the king, honor the emperor. You know who the emperor was when this was written? It was Nero. Nero was crazy. I mean, he was, he was like literally a psychopath. He was nuts. But, but Peter says honor the emperor. And so we need to remember in this political season, even if there's a political candidate that you disagree, we can argue the issues. We can say, I don't agree with this. We can say, I don't think this person should be the president. But we need to treat everyone with respect because they're made in the image of God, redeemed by the, potentially redeemed by the precious blood of Jesus. And so we need to treat everyone with honor and with respect. So how do we do this? And I think a big part of like how this can kind of work out into our life is that, is that as we interact with people, and we live in an area where there's just, you know, so many people around, but we need to ask God to help us really see people. Remember that when, when the rich young ruler came to Jesus and he said, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And they had this conversation. It says that Jesus looked at him and loved him. And so I think what we need to, we need to ask God to help us really see people. Right? You can't love until you look. And so what would, it, what would it look like if we all from here, if we went out realizing we're ambassadors of Jesus, we're ambassadors of his kingdom, and so the person who's pumping your gas, like we, we look at them and we love them. Or the waiter or waitress, if you're going to go out to eat afterwards, or, or that person in your family who's really difficult to be around, or that coworker that, that, that just kind of makes your skin crawl. Right? We don't have a right to be impolite to anyone. And you'd say, like, well, but I'm from Jersey. That's what we do. I mean, that's just, you know, I mean, that's just in Jersey. That's just what we do. No, we are citizens of the kingdom of heaven. And so we need to treat everyone with the value that they have, right? And, and when we leave here, we're going out as the ambassadors of Jesus Christ. And so the second homework is who are you going to affirm the value of this week? Who's someone in your life? You know they don't think much about themselves. You know that they get treated in a way that communicates to them that they have no value. Maybe you've even treated them this way. We say, no, 
I'm going to demonstrate to them. I'm going to treat them in such a way that they will know that I value them. So hopefully they can know that God values them. And the third thing is this. Believe in others like Jesus believes in me. Believe in others like Jesus believes in me. 1 Corinthians 13, 7, the love chapter. It says, love always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. The Living Bible paraphrase says the same verse. If you love someone, you will be loyal to him no matter what the cost. You will always believe in him, always expect the best of him, and always stand your ground defending him. And this is what Jesus did, right? Jesus, he affirmed the people around him. Jesus didn't just look at people and see what they were. He saw what they could become, and he spoke into that. And so much of what Jesus did and what he taught, especially with his disciples, when he said things like, nothing is impossible to him who believes, or greater works will you do because I'm going to the Father, or as the Father has sent me, I'm sending you, right? So Jesus was wanting them, he was wanting them to know, listen, I believe in you. And so you think about, you know, the fact that Jesus trusted the future of the entire world to 12 and then 11, because one of them messed up ordinary, uneducated fishermen. That he, he died on the cross, and he had this incredible gospel message, and he had these, these 11 men and some, and some women that were a part of his inner circle, and he said, I'm going to trust you. I believe you can do it. You can take my message to the ends of the earth, and you know what? The gates of hell will not prevail against my church because he believed in those around him. And I wonder if when Jesus went back to heaven, If, you know, the angels maybe were just like, man, that was amazing. That was so incredible. You died on the cross and that was, now we understand more about God's love and and you rose from the dead. And that was, now there's this incredible message that could change the whole world. What's the plan, Jesus? How's this going to work out? And Jesus maybe said something like, well, I've got these 11 guys and some incredible women and they're going to do it. I believe that they're going to do it because I put my spirit with them and I'm going to be with them and they can do this. And I think he says the same thing about us, that when he looks at all the darkness in the world and he thinks about all the hopelessness that's out there, what's the plan? And I think Jesus would say, well, you know what? I've got some incredible women and some wonderful men and some on-fire teenagers, uh, you know, who are part of the North Jersey Vineyard Church, and so I'm going to do it through them. I'm going to do it through them, and I got people in churches all over the world, and I'm going to do it through my people. And that's why he says things like, if you have faith as small as a mustard seed, you just, if you just have a little teeny tiny bit of faith, you can speak to this mountain and command it to be thrown into the sea. It's why he says, everything is possible for him who believes. And Jesus this morning says to us, whatever it is, maybe you feel right now like my marriage is is past the point of no return. I can't turn it around. Jesus says, I believe in you. Together we can turn around your marriage. Or maybe you say, I've got this addiction and I can't break free of it. And I've tried and I'm just tired of even trying. Jesus says, I believe in you. Together we can do this. Or maybe you feel like you're just like in a cloud of depression and hopelessness. And you're like, I don't know how to have hope in my life. I don't know how I can look into the future positively. Jesus says, I believe in you and I'm going to be with you. I'm going to teach you to have hope in your life so you can come into the future that I have for you. This is what Jesus is saying to each and every one of us. And he, he says, I believe in you and I want you to believe in those around you. Romans chapter one, verse 11 
says, for I long to see you so that I may impart to you some spiritual gift to strengthen you. That is, that you and I may be mutually encouraged by each other's faith. Now, we make a big deal here about life groups. And as I said, one of the reasons we do the campaign every fall is because we, you know, it helps get a lot more people in life groups. I want everyone to be in a life group. And the reason I want everyone to be in a life group is you're going to have moments in your life, and maybe you're going through it right now, where, where the circumstances that you're dealing with and the challenges you deal with, you feel like your faith has been kicked out of you. That it's just really hard for you to have faith. And so what you need is you need to be in a place in relationship with other people so they can have faith when your faith is failing. And you need to be in a group of people so that when they're struggling, you can say, hey, I believe in you. Jesus believes in you. I'm praying for you. It's going to be okay. God's going to make a way. We need to rely on one another's faith. And so the Bible says that if you're a follower of Jesus, you believe not only in God and Jesus, but we believe in each other. See, that's what the church is all about. We believe in each other and we help each other because we're the family of God. And it says in Hebrews 10, 24 to 25, let us consider how we may spur one another on towards love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together because our commutes are long and we're too busy and there's good stuff on TV, not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another all the more as you see the day approaching. So your third homework assignment, who is someone in your life right now? Maybe someone who's part of this church, someone part of your family, someone who's a believer in Jesus, or maybe they're not. Maybe they don't even have faith yet, but you know they're going through it. You know that faith has been kicked out of them. Who will you turn to this week and say, hey, I want you to know you're going to make it. Jesus is with you. Jesus loves you. Jesus believes in you. I believe in you. I'm praying for you so that your faith can carry them through their time of doubt and their time of fear. See, that's what we're called to do. And this is what Jesus offers us. This is what Jesus offers us. I, I love preaching messages that, that get to the core of our identity because, you know, it just makes all the difference. Because I just see the struggles that people have with acceptance and feeling valuable and nobody believes in them and all of that. And so many people, they look at Christians and they're like, I don't get it. I don't get why they like coming to church. I don't get why they sing. I don't get why they do what they do. I don't get why they don't do this. And, you know, all that. They don't, because they just think it's just kind of religion. It's empty. It doesn't do anything. People don't realize what we get out of it. People don't realize the way that Jesus transforms our life and the change that he makes. Psychologists say that what you feel about yourself is largely determined by what you think the most important person in your life thinks about you. Let me say that again. Psychologists have said that the way you feel about yourself is strongly connected to the way that you think the most important people in your life feel about you. That's why our parents have such influence on us, because when we're little, they're like the sun, the moon, the stars. They're kind of everything, right? Well, that's why if you go through a divorce and your spouse rejects you, that, that takes such a toll. The way that we think about ourselves is largely determined by the way that we think the most important people in our life think about us. And so the answer to that reality is make Jesus the most important person in your life. Make Jesus the center of your life. Make him the most important person in your life because he says, I have accepted you. 
You are accepted in me. I did the heavy lifting so you can be accepted. And so now I'm going to live inside of you and I'm going to start changing you from the inside out. He says about you, I don't care what your parents have said. I don't care what this world has said. I don't care what the devil has said. I don't care what you say about yourself. You are valuable. You have value. You matter. Let me reveal this to you so you'll start living like you believe it. And he says, no matter what you're going through, he says, I believe in you. He says, he says, come to the place, come to the point where your testimony can be. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me because Jesus believes in me. Jesus is going to make a way. I don't have to be afraid. I can face the future. And I'll tell you, there is nothing in this world that down to the core of your identity, the core of who you are, that will give you that. You could make all the money in the world. You could have the most likes on Instagram. You could whatever, you know, just get to the top of the ladder. But it's not, you're still going to remember the things that were said in junior high school. You're still going to, it's still going to be with you. Sometimes the most successful people, the ones you think like, oh man, they got it all together. They're suffering from something called imposter syndrome. And they're kind of thinking like, man, I got all this going on, but I don't think I'm going to be able to keep it all together. And the jig's going to be up. See, we all need to know the revelation that only is offered through Jesus Christ. I don't think there's any other place we can turn to in this world that will tell us that we're accepted unconditionally. We have, we have infinite value and we have a Jesus who believes in us who's gonna make a way when there is no way. And so I wanna make Jesus the most important person in your life. Because yes, you'll go to heaven when you die and that's gonna be awesome. But in this life, in this world, you're gonna experience healing. And you're going to experience a new identity. And you're going to have this revelation. The Bible talks about the eyes of our heart being opened up. Your eyes will be opened up and your identity will be settled. Because you'll know if God is for me, who can be against me? I don't have to juggle anymore. I can get off the treadmill because I know, I know what the most important one says about me. And so I'm going to stop listening to what people have said. I'm going to stop listening to what this world says. I'm going to stop listening to what I say. And I'm, I'm going to certainly stop listening to what the devil says. And I'm going to start listening to Jesus because he's the center of my life. He's the one who matters most. So Lord God, I just thank you for your presence here. Just stay seated for a moment. I'm going to do some ministry in a second. But Lord, I thank you. You've made us new. You've given us a message. You've given us a truth that we can't get anywhere else that we desperately need, God. We're like, like, dying of thirst in the desert. But Lord, you offer us living water. And if there's anyone here right now and you have not yet accepted Jesus, it starts with you accepting him. And all really all that means is you say, help me, Jesus. I open up my life to you. I need you in my life. I want to give you an opportunity to do that. Because what the Bible says, all the stuff, the, the acceptance, the value being communicated to us, Jesus believing in us, it starts with us accepting him. We accept his free gift of salvation. And if you've never done that, I want to give you a chance to do that this morning. And so just pray this prayer. You, you know, it doesn't really matter, you know, exactly what the words are. God's looking at your heart. And so pray something like this. Say, Lord Jesus, I need you. I accept you in my life. I accept your free gift of salvation. I believe that you died on the cross in my place. You rose from the dead. You're here right now. And I acknowledge that I need you. 
Please forgive all of my sins and show me what you think about me. Show me who I really am. Fill me with your love so I can live this life loving other people the way you love me. And if you prayed that prayer, just keep your eyes closed. If you prayed that prayer, raise your hand right now. Just raise your hand so I can see. Okay, awesome. And I'm going to ask you to do one other thing. You can text FOLLOW to this number, 201-584-7188. Or you can just check off on the back of your connection card that you decided to follow Jesus. Let's all stand together for a moment. And what we'll, you know, we'll send you some stuff in the mail that will kind of help you in the journey because it's the first step of many steps. And we want to help you with the steps. But let's just take a moment. Let's just wait on the Lord together for one moment. And just close your eyes and you can hold open your, your arms like this and, and just kind of wait for, for God like he's giving you a gift. But come, Holy Spirit. God, we bless your presence. And Lord, I pray that you would just show us right now your heart for us, how you love us, how you accept us. And some of you right now, you're going through stuff. You're going through stuff and you know, just have this fear that you're not going to make it, that it's not going to work, that you're like at the bottom of a hole and you're never going to get out. But Jesus right now wants to say to you, I believe in you. Just grab my arm, grab my hand, and let me lift you out of that pit and set your feet upon a rock. Because I'm going to put a new song in your mouth. And some of you right now this morning, you came in here hopeless, but God wants to fill you with hope. So we're going to have some people over here uh, ready to pray for you, people from the prayer ministry team. We'd love to pray for you. I think God wants to minister to some identity stuff. Maybe you, you know that rejection has been something that you carried all of your life. And, and uh, you know, it's just, it's just been so hard to get over it. And you try, you know, to read different books and do different things, but you can't break free. Let Jesus set you free. Let Jesus show you how he accepts you. Maybe there's someone in your life and you just like, they, they need this. They need to know their value. They need to know they have a future. Let God fill you with his spirit so his love can flow through you to bless them. Whatever it is, I just think God wants to do some, some identity work this morning and get to the root of some things. The prayer ministry team also had a sense that God wanted to, to heal some people today. That someone who has pain in their neck on their left side, under the ear specifically, that God wants to heal you. Uh, there's, a, there's a young woman that you're, you're dealing with some stuff in your life right now. You're really confused. You don't know which way to go. And, uh, and, and God wants to give you direction. God wants to let you know that he's with you. You're not lost. They, they had a sense that somebody's struggling with a heart murmur that God wants to heal. Uh, and then also a sense that somebody has pain in their right shoulder and in their neck, like tension, that God wants to bring healing. So whatever your prayer needs are this morning, come and let somebody pray for you. I forgot to pass the basket, so that's on me. I got caught up in everything. So we're going to have some, uh, we're going to have welcome team members in the back holding a basket so you can put your connection card and your offering uh, in the basket as you leave. All right, so let's just feel free to come on up and let somebody pray for you because I think there's stuff that God wants to do. God, we just ask for your presence to be poured out here this morning. Come Holy Spirit. Come and have your way. We ask in Jesus' name, amen.